Hey, welcome everybody to another episode of The Conversation, Outspoken and Opinionated. Of course, we're here. It's a Thursday at 7 p.m. and we're here to have a great time. I told you guys this month is the month of Black women in politics. We started off with um, some amazing women. Um, and so, you know, first we had um, Sivette Gibson from Monrovia, Liberia, who was the mayor, used to be the mayor of the city of Painesville. Then we went to Sia Fenner, who's currently in running for PG County uh, um, Councilwoman. And today we have none other than the amazing um, Casey Manine. She is the vice mayor of the city, recently been re-elected as a vice mayor of the city of Chevrolet here in Maryland. She does amazing other things. Like I said, if you guys remember last week, we had a conversation with the lady who, you know, one of her things were, you know, being a female in politics, you know, um, it's hard for, you know, the men to come around because she's a woman. And so she, you know, she had her opinion. But Casey is married. She has a son. She has a business. She has a lot of things going on. And she's in politics. So tell you guys, it's going to be juicy because I need to know how she did this. Because side note, I knew her husband. And so I'm going to pick her brain and I'm going to record that part so I can send it to him. So you guys don't let her know she's watching though. She can see what's going on. But yes, the conversation, I spoke in opinion. This is where we have all these amazing conversations. So guys, uh, let's welcome Casey. You are welcome. Welcome back to the conversation. Thank you. Thank you for having me back. I've missed you. I feel like I I've missed you too. It's been so long since I've actually seen anybody in person. But I, know, I feel like it's I been know, a while since I, know, I, I talked I to you too. So I know COVID has kept us all inside. Um, I said the other day when Dr. Fauci said, you know, those who are taking the vaccine can wear the mask. I'm like, I'm sorry. We cannot wear the mask. We're fine. I said, I'm sorry. I'm going to wear my mask. Yeah. Because especially since I just bought a whole box from Walgreens, I got to finish that. <laughs> make, make good use of it. That's right. So I'm it's not one. That. That's right. <laughs> well, how you been doing since the last time we had you on here? Pretty good. Pretty good. Oh. I can't complain. Nice, nice, nice. Yeah. It's really good to see you. Uh, we're just going to jump straight in. First of all, from the Conversation family, we are going to rally around you and say congratulations on you. your re, uh, I would say rerun and re-election and everything of being the vice mayor of the city of Chevrolet. Thank so you. I want to ask you, how was Alonzo and Justice? Uh, so those are my two big babies. Um, Alonzo's my husband, and Justice is my three and a half year old, mm -hmm. and they are well. Um, uh, they're very well taken care of, believe it or not. So they're doing good. Awesome. So how are you doing? I'm here. You know, uh, for with anything, there's ebbs and flows, good days and bad days. Mm -hmm. But you know, there's the grace of God, and so that keeps me. I'm doing great. Good. So some people wanted to know, you know, apart from you being the vice mayor, what else do you do? Um, I, <laughs> apart I from being a mom and a wife. I tell people I'm overemployed. Um, Can you employ me? Well, you do pretty good. Um, <laughs> you have a couple of hats that you wear, too. You know what? I um, I'm a regular government government employee. That's what I tell folks. I work for the federal government, but outside of that, I do contract work. Um, I'm in the diversity, equity, and inclusion space. Um, I used to do a lot of victim services work, so I'm still doing um, speaking engagements for that. Um, presently, this week, we are in the crimes against uh, the conference of crimes against women, and so I'm I'm speaking for that about uh, vicarious trauma. 
And then I have my different duties under my vice mayor and council member hat. I'm the vice mayor of the town, but I'm also the council member for Ward 4. Okay. And um, Ward 4 usually takes up most of my time, uh, my free time. Um, and then I, I have various sororities and organizations that I participate in to volunteer and um, really try to give back to my community. So I am uh, actively selling real estate because the market is just wonderful. Um, and so that's usually my Saturday and Sunday gig. Don't tell my, my pastor that because he'll think that I'm not coming to church for that reason, but I'm still doing bedside Baptist. So, um, but yeah, I'm a busy, busy person and I, I prefer it that way. Um, it's kind of how I get a clear headspace, interestingly mm-hmm. enough. So yeah. that's my sweet spot. I understand you because if I'm not doing five or six things, I I get sick. Something happened to me. Like I'm not functioning properly. I'm kind of slow. I don't answer questions right. Probably like, okay. No, I need to find something else. But thank you for clarifying because I was going to ask you if you know being the council member for Ward Four was the same thing as the vice mayor. But I guess there are two separate roles in the city of Chevrolet. Yes. Oh my God! Like, is there anything else you you aren't doing? <laughs> Right. Um, yeah, there's plenty. Yeah, there's you're plenty. doing a lot. You well, know, I appreciate you. Go ahead. I'm sorry for cutting you off. No, you know, I um, I've had a lot of people ask me why in the world would you do all that. When I first was asked to run, I did not want to run for office. Um, I'm painfully candid. I'm a very poor politician. I'm really honest with people. And that's not what politicians are supposed to do. They're supposed to be able to tell you what you want to hear. And I don't do that very well at all. Mm-hmm. And um, to be well-received when I first got into office, uh, let me know that people were open to someone different with a different personality. And then once I got there, I realized how important it was to have a seat at the table. And so I'm really proud of the work I've been able to do. Um, some of the people in, in Fourth Ward have said they have not had sidewalks in 40 years. Like, that's just absurd, right? Sidewalk in America in 40 years. In 40 years. Wow. So just really kind of focusing on advocating for um, parts of the community that have not usually had their voice heard. And um, I've been really pleased with how that has worked out and how the community has kind of rallied around me. So um, I'll be there as long as they want me to serve. Oh, amazing. But I like that because you took it like you got my question. So let's just go into it. So let's talk about this second term. How was the campaigning? So this is technically, technically, this is my third term. I was appointed for a short period of the first term. Oh, okay. And I ran for election. So that was my first run. And then this okay. is my second term. Okay. Campaigning was very different this time. Um, hmm. Because I have been, as your show likes to say, outspoken. Yes. About equity and diversity in our town. Um, there was sort of a whisper campaign to try to have me taken out of office. Oh, wow. Um, and in so many ways, I just love, you know, applying you know the scripture to this. It was really like a spiritual warfare moment where I could truly say, like, all things work together for the good of those that love the Lord. Uh-huh. Because in the efforts that were made, it really angered some of the people that aren't normally involved. And so for the, the people that aren't normally involved, they got involved and um, they spread the word. I didn't even have to really do my campaigning anymore. I had one person on Chevrolet Avenue calling everybody down the street. I had another person on Arbor Street saying absolutely not um, because I was uncontested all the way up until one week before the election. So it really just didn't look savory. Okay. Um, it really looked like 
an attempt to really to really impact my campaign in a negative way. And so, I, I, again, I cannot stress how much the community rallied around me. And when I talk about the community, a lot of my constituents are in their 80s and 90s. Oh, wow. Um, one of my constituents was bedridden and came out to vote. And so those are the moments where I'm like, I have to show up and do my job because they've had my back, you know. So I, I, I couldn't have asked for a better group of constituents. I really couldn't have. So um, did you find it? difficult to campaign as a female? You know, there's there, that's a, a really good question. In a, no, a number of arenas, people have asked me about um, what are some hurdles to being in politics or some barriers. And I tell people all the time, I grew up in a very abusive, dysfunctional home. But even in that home, nobody ever told me I was less than because I was Black or a woman. So I don't go around thinking oh, I'm a woman, so you won't vote for me. I go around thinking, hey, I get stuff done, so you should vote for me. Um, and so that's kind of the attitude that I brought to each door that I knocked on. I let people know what my accomplishments were, and I didn't really think about being a woman. Um, you know, I, I am one, 100% cisgendered, born that way, but um, that to me wasn't an obstacle. There are some women who have run for office, particularly in our town, who have been told, don't you need to be, take, need to be taking care of your baby? Mm. And in some ways, I think that, quite frankly, being a Black woman played a part in me not having people ask me those questions. Because there, there's definitely the assumption that Black women are super women. We can do everything and anything, um, including, you know, make dinner, change diapers, and run the town. So um, I never let that be a hurdle or stop me. So... How was your integration into politics as a mom, a wife? Some some people might say, you know, it's hard. I had somebody, you know, um, last week who did give her opinions on, you know, being a mom and married at the same time running politics. And she she she's seeing this conflict with, you know, um, I would say black or African men and their wives where they want to compete. Because, you know, it's a man's world. So how was your integration as a wife and a mom? I'm going to upset some of your viewers with it. So it, first and foremost, it is hard um, mm -hmm. because there is a natural, uh, well, first and foremost, let's, let's back up. My husband did not agree. He did not get married to a politician. Oh, I was, because I was going. So he got married to a woman he thought was cute and I wasn't a politician at the time. So he didn't sign up for this. And, um, there has had to, there definitely has been an adjustment in his comfort level and what we need to do to make sure our family is still a family. Because at the end of the day, when all is said and done in the town of Chevrolet, I still have to be Mrs. Munyene. Yep. And Mama Munyene. So, um, and I, I would throw in the added caveat that um, I am an African-American married to an African man with strong cultural ties to being an African man. Um, and so there are quintessential expectations of what my role is in the house. Um, we have had conversations about whether or not he thinks he can eat if I don't make dinner, you know, but there's been some adjustments. He lives in the United States and he knows that he married an African-American and his wife is in politics and may have a meeting every night of the week. And so there's give and take. And, and sometimes there's lots of sacrifice. And that is hard. Again, he didn't sign up for this. Um, I think that he's done an amazing job thus far, given um, the six-hour meetings that we have, 
the frequent meetings that we have. There's a lot that goes into serving the community and being a public official and a politician. And so I think we've done a pretty good job so far. And I am so excited to see you doing that. I'm so excited because like you said earlier, he did when he got married to you, you were not into this. No. And the fact that you are doing it, you know, and like you said, there are there are some bad days where as a man, I know there are some days you'd be like, are you kidding me? Like, can we just be home? Can you not do this? But I, but at the end of the day, it's like, if you shine, we shine. And the whole family's going to shine. So, you know, I was looking at the picture when you were being sworn in and I saw him there in Little Justice. And I was like, this is what other men need to see. Just from a picture, you can understand that, hey, it's my wife. And at the end of the day, I'm still going to support her no matter what. But, you know, you now, you again, the city, the vice mayor of Chevrolet. What do you think now in your city is more important? So I don't know who all is listening and where those folks are located, but we had a huge storm September 10th. It was a thousand year storm and most of our homes got flooded. Chevrolet is on a number of different springs. Some people's homes are on top of ponds and bodies of water. We've had to have homes lifted off their properties because they're in a flood zone. And so a lot of my constituents were impacted. Um, and so we're trying to figure out how we can use American Rescue Plan funds to kind of prevent that from happening again. The other thing about politics to keep in mind is a lot of times you're doing cleanup work from somebody's administration before yours. And so you can't just say, oh, they did a terrible job back then and there. No, you just got to you got to show up and deliver because mm-hmm. nobody cares how we got here. And so a lot of the infrastructure in town really needed to be changed and improved probably 20 years ago and just wasn't. Um, and so now we're taking that on this new new cycle, new fiscal year. Aside from that, we do need to talk about equity. One of the reasons why. The grapevine said that they wanted to have me removed is because I kept focusing on equity. Well, there's a really great article that talks about the power of one. Mm -hmm. And it's regarding a town council that I want to tell you is in Alabama. And they talk about how systematic racism has essentially prevented any more than one black person from ever serving on council. And so not only do we have the most diverse council in history in our town, but we now have two black people that sit on it. And that may seem like a, just a mundane thing, but that's history, you know? And the more I hear about first black this and first black that, um, I think two different things, there's a dichotomy there. One is how sad, you know, like we're we're just getting the first black so-and-so, right? Yeah. But then I'm also like, that's that's another door that we've entered. That's another barrier that's been broken. And so I just wanna keep seeing that happen in town. Um, our population in town is 57% African-Americans. And we've still never had a black mayor. Uh, we have our first ever black town administrator. And so I just want people to see the humanity in black people in particular, uh, minorities, but black people in particular as well. So infrastructure and equity, those are our two things. Okay, so we do have a question from someone who's watching. And her, and her question is, I don't know if you can see it, she said, "How did you get? How did you get him? To, how did you get your husband to compromise and bring him to support you without feeling threatened as a man of the home?" So, I don't have a good answer for you. I'm an old-fashioned woman. That's why he married me. I'm from the South, and so there are traditional values that I brought to my marriage. 
um, yes, cooking for a man will make him consider marrying you. And so during our um, courtship, I probably made him dinner every day. Um, he at least had two to three course meals. If it wasn't every day, it was at least three out of five days. And um, that he does not get anymore. And so when we talk about those compromises, um, I think part of it has to do with the fact that he's a little bit older and he's kind of mellow yeah. in general. So I know my husband's personality. But also there are days when he says, I'd like to have my wife today. And on those days, he gets his wife. So there is no town of Chevrolet. Um, I make sure he gets his wife. And whatever that means, if it means that he just wants to sit and spend time and talk or sit in silence, whatever that means, um, then I make sure he does that. So the really important thing is is having the communication clear so mm -hmm. that when that happens, you know to stop and do that. The best thing, the ideal thing would be that he doesn't have to say that to me at all, that I know, okay, now's the time I need to take uh, spend time with my family. And I'm working on that. I'm a work in progress too. So um, that being said, not every day is he supportive. There are some <laughs> days when he's just like, uh, you know, I don't, I don't want to hear the word Chevrolet. But um, I'm going to tell you something. I have his last name. And I told him, I said, you know, I'm putting some respect on your last name, too. So he likes that. When I was running for re-election and I was uncontested, he's hemming and hawing how many meetings you're going to. The minute somebody ran against me, he said, oh. you got to be there. Mm -hmm. So he's got a little competitive spirit in there, too. And um, that let me know that he also believes in the work that I do. Um, because there was never a question to him whether or not I would win. And so um, in many ways, it's knowing your husband. In other ways, it's going to be the real compromise of what days do I do, do certain things. There's a lot of times I don't do things for me because the time that I would have for me, I've spent them on my child, my husband, or my town, or my other professions. And work is not time for yourself, ladies. That's not self-care time. If you're working, that doesn't count. So sometimes I, I, I do without. Um, I do have a why, and I share that why with him, and that helps us get to where we need to be. Um, my most important why for why I do this work is I have that three-year-old little boy who's three and a half feet tall. So he's going to be a really big black man one day, and I need for everybody in town to know who he is and not bother him because he's walking down the street just because he is a big black man. So for every six hour meeting that I go to, for every meeting that I go to Monday through Friday, I know that my why is not just for my son, but for everybody else's son in town who may have experienced, you know, over policing or anything else that they just don't need to go through. And I like that you say that because me uh, being uh I would call myself African or African-American and I have a son who's American and just having that conversation about you being a black person and what you should expect and what, how you should hold your head up and do certain things. I remember my son asking this question. He's like, you know, with the whole um, George Floyd thing that was going on, he's like, daddy, why is this happening? And I just basically told him, I said, because there are some people who don't like you because of the color of your skin, but you need to let these people understand that you are just as 100% searching with everything you're doing just like them. There is no difference between you and there is no difference between them. But it's hard that we have to educate them. It's hard that we have to stand up in 2021, but this is what we have to do. And it's funny because 
he, you know, he got, he's in a school where they're multiracial. And he's like, but daddy, my friends treat me okay. You know, my teacher is white. She's fine. I said, yes. I said, there are people who have come to terms with that. I said, well, there's some people who just won't like you because you're black. And are you going to be afraid of that? No. You're still going to stand up for your rights and you're still going to be who you are as a black man living in America. And I say that to say, I felt today that, you know, I think that up to today and up to at this moment that we speak, we still have to educate people. And for me, as someone who's, you know, from a developing country, I don't understand that. I'm like, why do I have to educate you? Like, where's Google? Like, you don't know how to Google stuff. Like, can you do this? And so um, I just want to move into this segment with you where, you know, last year at the General Assembly, the 75th General Assembly of the United Nations, the United Nation, I, you know, of course, my nerdiness, I washed it and I go through all the little things and I pay for some of it to wash it. And there was a photograph that caught my attention. It was a photograph of all the head, head of states that was at the General Assembly. And I only saw two women. And I immediately had a reaction. And when I tell you I had a whole moment to myself, I had a whole moment. I'm like, this is 2020. Are you kidding me? There are only two women heads of state. What is going on? Like, I'm like texting my friends. I'm like, did you see that picture? And everybody looking at me like, calm down. It's not that. So I pose that to you as a woman in politics. Like for me, I feel like, so where are we going? If at the United Nations, heads of states, there are only two women. What What's your take on that? Like, how do you feel if I be why I'm saying this to you. And I wish I had the picture to show it. Um, well, there, there's no surprise there, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the unfortunate thing is that no matter how much we harp on, if, if you're Christian, no matter how much we harp on the fact that Jesus is the great equalizer, we as human beings find ways to make sure someone is not equal to us. And the way that we do that is by figuring out what's their differences and how do I use those differences to separate us and be on top. And quite frankly, men have done a great job of that. Um, Men have been able to keep women out of leadership positions for thousands of years. And um, it is unfortunate, but it is not surprised. I mean, people will say that Hillary was probably the worst candidate to run for the elections. And what whatever year that was was it twenty? It's so hard to remember because those last four years. Yeah, the last you know don't count. So I I can do that. Twenty sixteen elections. Yeah, I can. But the truth is, if we looked at who was better qualified to do the job, if we didn't look at gender at all, but we just looked at the two resumes, one resume clearly outweighed the other. Um, Don't look at pros and cons. Don't look at personalities. Just look at resumes. And so often we see that. Um, people who are not competent, people who do not have the same skill set will be promoted in places where there's likeness. And that likeness is always going to be whites and males. And so it's unfortunate. It's unfortunate on a global scale because women have proven that they can be good leaders. I mean, Liberia has been a perfect example of that. I think if people compare, don't don't throw stones at me, but I think if people compared the previous president to the current president. Oh, gee, we don't throw no stones at you. Don't, don't throw stones at me. Oh, we agree with you on this I, I think that most people would say that the previous president did a better job of managing the resources for Liberia. Not saying that there was not any inappropriateness, not saying that she didn't hire her sons to do work. 
Not saying there wasn't nepotism or cronyism, just saying she did a better job of managing the resources. And so it's not that women can't do these jobs. It's not that women can't lead. We do that every day. Mm-hmm. It's just about having opportunity and being treated equal. And unfortunately, we still aren't today. So I have some extra questions, but since we went into this, I'm just going to give you these extra questions. We'll look at the real question. But why do you think it's harder for female candidates to be, to be likable compared to men? Oh, there's so many reasons. First and foremost, the people that are worse to women are women. I heard that's what the lady yeah. said last week. Yeah. Um, one of, well, first, let me start on black women, because if you're a black woman and you're outspoken, then you're an angry black woman mm-hmm. and you're fitting a stereotype where you can't be trusted with your temperament. So then you'll hear words like, does this person have the personality to do the job? Personalities don't do jobs. Personalities manage people, so you have to have a personality to be able to good, be a good leader of other people. But you don't have to have a good personality to do a good job. That's what you need to focus on. And we don't ask those same questions of men. So I've had I've had an interviewer ask me, or or even the questions today, and I'm not offended by them, but they they may ask, "What does your husband think mm-hmm. of you doing this?" You don't ever see anybody asking a man, "What does your wife think of you doing this?" Another factor is is numbers, right? And just the makeup of women. So it takes asking a woman to run for office at least seven times before she will even consider running for office. Do you know how long it, how many times it takes asking a man to run for office? One. Zero. You <laughs> never have to ask a man for to run for office. A man will sit down and decide, I can do that better and decide to run for office. So if we are spending seven times asking women, just in the sheer number alone would be why you don't see a lot of women in politics. Now you see more and more um, and they're coming based on some value issues. Like was somebody's son killed? You know, mm-hmm. uh, Corey, you, we see Corey Bush, you know, we see new leaders and movers and shakers that are taking place because of an issue. But mm-hmm. if it wasn't for that issue, they more than likely would not have run for office. And what I think you're going to see is that that's going to change. I think more and more women, AOC, mm-hmm. uh, more and more oh. women are saying, you know what? I can do that. And forget anybody else who says I can't. And so let's talk about, you know, the a woman's role in politics. Why do you think that the role of a young woman is so important in politics? Um, and I'm not going to do the age thing when I say young. I just mean young woman. I'm like, am I, am I young still? You're young. You're young. You got a feel. You're young. Um, I think they just said millennials are geriatric. Something yeah, some, yeah right I heard something. Someone actually tagged me to that. Um. Well, I mean, first and foremost, I, I will remind everyone that Nancy Pelosi is 80 years old. Fantastic job. And vibrant. Vi- and very vibrant, but yeah. she's 80 years old. Yeah. And we were promised 120, you know, max. So even if she has 40 years left in her terms, someone needs to come behind. There needs to be some secession here. And we also need a different train of thought. Like diversity is not just about race. Diversity is also about difference in generations so that we have the, the diversity of thought as well what a development looks like because there are people who are 70 years old working with the developer will be very different than what a developer decides to put in 
if somebody is 29 years old. Mm -hmm. So that's the difference between a wise grocery store and a mom's organic grocery store. That's the difference between deciding whether or not you have food to table restaurants or you have a Shoney's or something else. And, and that's not to associate any one of those preferences with a different age yeah. group, but you want to make sure you have a diversity of thought and you want people who have the energy to protest and are able to do that. That's not to say that, you know, people who are older can't, but you also want people who have learned some different things culturally. So I'm accused a lot of um, being outspoken. There are some generations where women were taught you are to be seen and not heard. And I went to an all women's school where I was allowed to speak up and say what I wanted to say. I was surrounded by women. There was no intimidation. So I am not intimidated in the presence of men. I don't feel like I need to just be seen. You're going to hear me too. And that has a lot to do with probably my age range. So, you know, in politics right now, some people might say, you know, you've made it, you know, you've, you've gone, you've made it, you know, in the city of Cheverly. But even though there is such gender gap in this political arena, how did you overcome that? So one, I have not made it. You never <laughs> arrive. Um, I, I definitely don't think I've made it. Mm-hmm. And I will tell you something. I don't think anyone will make it. I don't think anybody has made it. We have four women on council. Okay. So we have probably more women than any other time in history, if I recall correctly. So it's our most diverse. It's the most women. And we still have some people who talk to us like with, with, with absolute disrespect, like some garbage. Um, and that is because what I tell people, I want people like, what do you want? You seem so angry. I want you to talk to me just like you would a white man. I want you to treat, treat me like how you would a white man. And so in terms of overcoming that, I would probably tell you I haven't done a very good job of it because I don't tolerate nonsense. Uh, I force you to respect me as the vessel that I am. And I just happen to be housed in the body of a black woman. That That's just who I happen to be. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, I want to ask you another question. Um, why do you think that some voters think that men are more qualified over women. Well, I, I would say men probably men in general have had the experience to be leaders because they essentially kept that power with men for the longest time. Yeah. I mean, women couldn't even vote, much less run for office. And even after black people could vote, black people, only black men could vote. So the suffragist movement took forever before we even had a voice with our with our vote. And even then, most women were voting along with and parroting their husbands. Um, I, I, I think it's really unfortunate that women's voices have not ever been truly heard to the degree that they should. But I do see that tide changing. Um, and, and I hope that we'll see more and more women in office soon. Yeah. And so can you describe, describe a powerful wo- woman political leader what more politician leadership moment you have experienced? A powerful leadership moment I have experienced. Yes, as a female politician. In town, um, when George Floyd was killed, mm-hmm. I had an expectation of um, the mayor, the, the ultimate leader of the town. And the true truest way to disappointment is um, to have expectations in the first place. So my expectations weren't met. And that is the day that I realized something. 
if somebody's doing something and it's not to your liking or you feel like, man, you need to do something and you say that, then you need to actually stand in the mirror and say, if you're telling somebody else, man, you need to do something, you need to do something. And so I said, I don't have to sit here and wait for somebody to issue a statement to my community. I have a voice. I will use my voice. And I use that voice to ultimately draft what is called the In Defense of Black Lives Resolution in our town. That resolution highlighted the historical racism that was in our town, the systemic racism in our town. It created a police complaints board. It established the Mount Hope Commission, which addresses equity in our town. And um, I single-handedly wrote that by myself. I received, I got edits from other people that I sent it to, but I decided that I have a voice, I am empowered, and I can use my platform to benefit the people in my town. And that that, that was actually voted on and voted unanimously. So I think that was a, a fantastic moment in my career. And that is amazing. Are there issues around women in politics that women politics? Are there issues around women in politics that concerns you? Well, yeah, again, um, I don't think we talk to women the same way we talk to men. Okay. There's, you know, my first time, I know that Frank is not watching this. My first time in realizing there was a difference in me versus my colleague was when I was a a manager. I was made a manager at 17 years old. Mm -hmm. And my assistant manager to me was 37 years old. So 20 year difference. And um, he made the comment, can't wait for payday. That's, you know, $2,000 in the bank, something like that. And I was like, Frank, how much money are you making? Now, Frank had had a number of illnesses. He did not have an extensive education. Essentially, we were on level playing fields, despite the fact that I was 17. I went to went to college when I was 15. So I and I'd worked the entire time that I could. So I had work experience. I had education. And um, Frank had a little bit of education, not a whole lot of work experience. But when you compare the two, these are equal people, despite the 20-year age gap. And I learned that Frank was making more money than me. And I went straight to my regional director and asked, why is Frank making more money than me? And he said, Frank has a family to take care of. (laughs) It was the first time that I realized I was like, literally being discriminated against because I was a woman who didn't have a family. And I was like, oh my gosh, they really do that. Like the Lily Ledbetter Act is there for a reason. And so, yes, there are plenty of areas where women still need to push the envelope and try to become involved in politics. Something as simple as the pink tax, you know, where if I buy a pink women's razor that has two blades, just like your black men's razor, it's a dollar extra. Why? Because you know females are your highest, women are your highest consumers and they're going to pay the dollar extra. Well, that's foolishness, like stuff like that. Those are the, and I would call those microaggressions against women, right? Um, We'll get to the, we can get to the macroaggressions about violence against women. Um, And violence can be both political power and physical violence against women. Um, Policies, like they're just, they're, I know you have very religious people watching your show, but the policies that they just passed, like, in Texas, whether or not you have autonomy over your body. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I tell people all the time, I, I had a certain status in life, if you will, before I got married. So I'm one of the few people I feel like should, that should be able to discuss whether or not you can get an abortion. <laughs> and um, 
you know, things like birth control, you know, those types of policies that seem like they are forgotten. Did you know that insurance pays for you to have the little blue pill, but won't pay for my birth control? Oh, wow. Yeah. Questions about your body and your autonomy over your body. Like if you want to get your tubes tied, you still have to get your husband's permission if you're married. In 2021, you still have to do that. So there's a lot of reasons why women should still consider um, getting involved in politics. Uh, not just because of women's issues, but because we are uniquely suited to see things differently. And I think you saying that uh, I was going to. Um, there are. Do you think that when it comes to women in politics, when it comes to leadership, there is some sort of, you know, I was having a conversation with somebody and said, you know, there is a thing about women in leadership. It's like there's a different style of leading. And so do you, is there, is there something like a mother instinct that lead women into a different way when it comes that, you know, get women leadership that lead differently than men? I will tell you that a lot of women don't do a good job of it. And I'll tell you why they don't do a good job of it, because they're trying to be men in the positions. Okay. The more women that are in leadership positions that are in politics that lead authentically as themselves. Um, the better off it will be. Now that's a that's a divide and that's a behavior that's created by men. Mm. There's almost sort of this gatekeeper concept. We only if we can only have two women at the UN, what might those two women do to any other woman trying to get in and sit at the table? And that's where we have to really change our, our thinking. There's a way for us to all get a slice of the pie and we don't have to take your slice. We just make the pie bigger. That's all. So the, the unfortunately, there's a scarcity of positions for women. So women are often awful to each other. They're awful and they're cutthroat and they act like, you know, some of the male characteristics because they think they need to do that in order to ex excel. And I, I disagree with that notion. I think you can authentically be who you are as a woman and bring the values and the skill sets that you have and succeed just fine. And I totally agree with you. But then it's also, I wanted to ask you a question. Why is it that women with children always have to reassure voters that they can do their job? It's like this thing I've constantly seen, like, oh, yeah, I have kids. But, you know, I can, I'm like, the man got kids, too. So he's on the platform with you. Why can't he tell assure? So why do you think women always have to defend their reproductive system or defend themselves as wives? Like, why? Why are they always some sort of defense? Unfortunately, the way that we legislate women's bodies and their motherhood is um, something that we think is carte blanche belonging to a man. Um, as, as I stated to you, there was a young lady that was running for mayor two terms ago, and she had someone come to the door and tell her, you need to be taking care of your babies. Now, they didn't know if she had the means to have a nanny. They didn't know what the dad did. They didn't know. It. They just felt like women take care of babies. And I'll tell you something, we actually do it all. I take very good care of my son, but half of the day he's with his dad because he has a daddy and that's perfectly suitable. There's nothing wrong with that. And that doesn't make me a bad mother and all. it won't make me a bad council member or vice mayor either. So it's really just about, you know, truthfully speaking, minding your business. If the person is coming to the table, they're getting work done. Why do you care who they have at home? That's none of your business. I agree. And I think the hypocrisy, I would just use the word, 
I think the hypocrisy when it comes to women in politics is extremely different compared to men and women. I think women are more, I think it's like the lady I had last week where she really talked about her experience. And I wanted to talk to you about it too, because I noticed something when I pulled, when we did the, uh, when we did the promotion of the show and we put your picture up and we put all your stuff on it. And somebody commented and said, she is so beautiful. And for me, I was like, you after everything we said, the only thing you notice. Thank you. Don't worry about it. Thank you. Yeah, I know. I'm like, okay, yeah, she's beautiful. And what's next? But, you know, I ask, I say this because I want to ask you that question. As a woman, do you think that most often in the room around the table, that's the first thing people will, you know, comment on? Oh, she's so beautiful. After you don't make a whole statement, you don't express yourself. And they'll be like, oh, she's so cute. Uh, sometimes, yes. So you have to keep in mind, um, my master's degree is in leadership. So I've studied all the reasons why people are willing to follow and all the reasons why people are made to lead. One of the number one reasons why folks are follow people is attractiveness. It's truly attractiveness. Um, I don't think I'm all that, that great. So thank you. I really appreciate that. But um, sometimes that's more, particularly a male audience is more distracted, if you will, by outer appearance versus actually paying attention to the content of what you're saying. Um, and that's unfortunate. Uh, uh, the worst part of that is we write that off as just male behavior. Like boys will be boys. Mm -hmm. Instead of saying, let's train our children as male children to be productive citizens that can pay attention to someone no matter what they look like. Um, so yeah, I, I definitely appreciate the compliment, but also I hope you're also saying, gosh, she really works her behind off because that's what I'm most proud of. I didn't have anything to do with what I look like. You know, that's just my mom and dad. And um, yeah, I mean, I, I didn't have any influence in that whatsoever. Um, but the, the other thing to keep in mind is, you know, in this election, I had people come up to me saying, someone just asked me not to vote for you. And they said, you can trust me. And that's what I would say to people who are voting. Have an educated vote. Educate yourself on what the issues are, particularly in local politics, because those are the ones that will impact you the most. Whether or not you have a pothole or people are speeding through your neighborhood, hitting your kids with their cars, or you're going to the right schools. Those are the things that really make a difference in your life. Pay attention to what's going on with those people and make sure that you make a decision based off of education and not what other people tell you. Because we can we can listen to all kinds of things. I really couldn't believe that some of the behavior that I saw because it wasn't adult behavior. That's, that's what fifth graders do. Well, I said not to like her, so you shouldn't like her. And I just realized, you know, a lot of adults are really just tall children. Mm -hmm. um, so aside from the fact that, you know, there are plenty of people that looked at Barack Obama and was like, man, he's attractive too. But that wasn't the linchpin to his entire administration two terms. What he did, what we, we are not still talking about Barack Obama and how handsome he was. We do on occasion still talk about his tan Easter suit. Mm -hmm. but we look at his policies and what his administration was able to accomplish. And we don't, we don't do that for women. And that's what I say that because now we're going to the question, you as a woman in politics and you hearing that Joe Biden won and we have the first female vice president. Tell me about your reaction. Uh, you give us a whole smile just now. I mean, I am, I am a registered Democrat. I'm not ashamed to say that. So I was happy. Um, I was happy that, 
she is a black woman um, and is able to show other minority women that it's possible. Now, I say that it is also Asian um, Pacific Islander uh, Awareness and History Month as well. She is an Asian Pacific Islander. And so I cannot take that from who she is. Mm -hmm. I think that that rhetoric in the news was intended to demean and diminish black women because there was a lot of conversation around why does she have to be Asian now, you know, yeah. or when we finally have a black woman in office. Um, and I think that the media did and continues to play that game against minorities where they bait each other against each other. The truth is there are more minorities in the world than there are white people. And the minute that everybody who's brown realizes that, there will be, I won't say that because that'll probably scare folks, but there would be a real difference in the quality of life for everybody. So um, I was happy to see it. I was happy to see that our president is a president that stutters, who has a son who had substance abuse. And I was happy to see that because those are real life issues that can make anybody feel like I can't do anything or I can't be anything. And every last one of those problems they said, these will not be barriers to me being successful. Um, and so I feel like we have a cabinet. I feel like we have leadership that we can look up to. And if you ever think, man, and I, I hate to say that I love, uh, you know, Hunter's story so much, but there's somebody somewhere right now that, that's getting high off crack. Mm -hmm. And they think that they're the worst thing in the world. And they can look up and say, you know something? He has, it not not just because of his resources or just because he had a great dad, this this same man lost all of his siblings. He lost his sister. He lost his mom. And they have managed to survive that and now lead our country through a pandemic, through a possible recession, and do a great job so far doing it. And that means that if they can do it, you can do it. And I think that that's, the, that's all about the American story. If they can do it, you can do it. And you said that that's important because I too stutter and unfortunately, I would say, can I say unfortunately, Matthias stutters. And so there are certain words that we can say. And I remember, you know, I, I have a friend who is a speech pathologist. And so she was going to work with him. And then and I just had a conversation with him because we always talk now. I was like, well, you know, and he's like, daddy, no, I'm fine. He said, did you see someone to help you? I said, no, I just learned how to, there are certain words that I can say. So I learned how to say it slower and I learned how to calm down when I'm talking. And, and then I was learning how to count my words so I can actually get my words out. And he said, well, I can do the same. If you can do it, I can do it. And so, you know, it was funny because just the other day we were talking again and he's like, daddy, how's the show going? And I was like, it's funny. He's like, so you see, you're on the show and you're talking and I don't think you started on the show. So why do you want me? And I was like, wow, for my son, you know, to catch those little things about me and put himself in my shoe and say, you know what, if you can do it, I can do it. And so I just look at it in the light where I do it. I like the fact that you said that because I think for me, Joe Biden is very relatable. I think, you know, he was a man that I can say, oh, OK, you know, he had a son who had this. He lost family members, but he was still able to, you know, come back and be who he is. And so I think for us, it's just confused. I think for me, it's just like, wow, you know, this is the American dream. This is what they say, you know, we should come from where anybody can do whatever they want. To, anybody can be who they want to be. And so, you know, just going back to you, is there, um, you did give us that information. So as a female politician, what is your hope or assumption for women in politics? I think women are going to take over. 
um, I don't okay. see why I don't see why we can't. You yes. know, anytime someone tells me, um, like I, if we had the over over the holidays, there was an all black production, and I was so proud of this artist because he he went to Morgan State, um, and was is from the area, and I think his name is David Talbert, and he did this jingle jangle production that's on Netflix. And the question was, well, is it okay to have an all-black production on television? And I'm like, you've had all-white productions? What's wrong with that? Mm-hmm. So if there's ever a table, I don't know if anybody remembers the image from from when the Bush years were in place and they were actually having even harsher penalties about abortions and things like that. And there was just a panel of nine white white men making those decisions. And they took a picture of that. And that was on the front of the New York Post. And I was like, these are the people that get to decide what I do with my body. Yes. And they don't know anything about, about me, me. Or, or what it's like to be a woman. So what I thought to myself was, I'm okay if one day that panel is all brown. I'm okay if one day that panel is all women. Because it's been all men all before. So, And I don't think we have to, to take over entirely. But I'm not, I'm not afraid to say that more and more women are going to get involved in politics. They will learn that there's a science to it. You have to have walk sheets. Mm-hmm. You do have to knock on doors. And there's a certain percentage of numbers that you have to have in order to know if you can win. Um, you have to have the faith to do it. You have to have the chutzpah to do it because it's hard. People don't call their local politician to say, hey, great job. They call you because something is wrong. And mm-hmm. so you have to be able to withstand constant criticism and constant problems. But I think more and more women will find that they are suited for the job and they will get those those jobs done. We've let folks try it before. Y'all y'all tried it. And maybe you were successful, maybe you weren't, but it's time to it's time to move on. Yeah. And you say that and I tell people I think the whole world knows that I am an extreme feminist. I love the work that women do. I think Ellen Johnson Sirleaf, I will say this publicly, is a true example of what women can do. Um, she took Liberia from where it was to where it is now. God forbid what's happening now, but we'll leave that story alone. But, you know, for the last, I will tell you this, for the last last season, this season, I've gotten a lot of DMs and messages. Why do you want to have women on your show? Why do you have men on your show? Blah, 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 blah. And I just openly said, my platform is to have a conversation, and I feel that a conversation around women aren't being talked about. I think every everything that we do is all about men doing this and a guy doing this and a guy. I'm like, where are my sisters? Especially my sisters. They need to be heard too. And I said this in the last show. It's like, I'm, we go into this space where we are approaching a certain age and our parents are approaching a certain age. And so me and my siblings, you know, we were having conversation about, you know, getting, uh, taking care of one of my parents and we are three boys and I only have one sister. And she, I could tell during the conversation that she, there was some sort of suppression with her. She wasn't talking a lot. She was really, I could tell from her voice. So I got in the corner and I called her. I'm like, what's going on? I said, you, maybe you don't want to talk about it, but I'm going to talk about it. Did you feel that because you are a woman? And you have three brothers that you can't say what you want to say. I say, you need to be honest with me. She said, yes. She said, I, she said, I feel that because I'm a girl, you guys can say whatever you want to say and whatever you guys say goes because you, you know, you guys. And I said, oh, 
excuse my language, I said, oh, hell to the no. I said, I don't want you to ever in your life feel that because you're a woman, that your voice cannot be heard. I said, I want you to have, I'm, you're going to hold me accountable. If we're ever in a meeting or we're ever meeting and you say something and you don't feel that you were heard because you're a woman, you need to call me out. But so I can address that. Do you realize how often that happens? Though there's a whole term for it. Like I, man explaining... I believe that my sister, like I love her to death, and I'm like, this girl feels this way. And I know this probably not the first time, but this was the first time because I have come to be in tune with these situations. I could understand that there is something awful, my sister. And so I just feel it's just like this is 2021. Like I don't think no woman should not be heard because she's a female. She's the other gender. Like that make no sense to me. It is so ingrained in our culture that a woman can be in a corporate boardroom, make a comment, have an, an observation, and not be heard. Oh. And a man can say the exact same thing she just said and be heard. It is just part of what we have said is the culture of our country. And it would be great if that could change because what women have to add is valuable. That's and true. honestly, the only way that it does change is people like you, thank you for this platform, that give women a voice. Um, you know, there's so much stuff that we don't even know about, um, in terms of women being in office because we just haven't had the opportunity to see it. We have no idea how women would lead, right? Because there's so many places where women are still becoming the first this and the first that. So I, I would encourage everybody to say, just, just give people a chance. The same brain that God made for the male mind, he, it's, it's, it's the same material. Mm -hmm. It may work differently, but it's, it's the same stuff. And so neither one is inferior to the other. And someone just put a comment and say, you know, it also depends on personality. I can talk over my brothers and some, and I'm like, you can talk over them, but are they taking in what you're saying? But there are two different things. You can talk over them. You can be the loudest in the room, but are they really accepting what you're saying? And is, are they comprehending what you're saying? That's, let me tell you why that, that statement is so important. That statement is so important because it is the absolute definition of inclusion. We can have diversity all day long. That's having three women at the table, three men, everybody being a different race, everyone having different backgrounds. But whose voice is actually heard? Mm -hmm. If everybody's voice is not heard, you don't have inclusion at all. No, you, you just don't. got your diversity. So yeah, if your voice can, if you can say something and people are actually listening to you, then you've got influence. And, that, and that's yeah. very rare for a woman, honestly. Yeah, and I see that. And it's funny because us being in healthcare, it's ridiculous. I will tell you, I don't see no other society, like in, in that industry, women, that's a whole different podcast. So I'll just leave that alone. But, you know, as we wrap it up now, as we close, um, you, you said it earlier, you've been married to someone who's originally from Africa. Um, what do you see when it comes to women in politics in Africa? What, what, what do you see? And, and I know you, 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 you'll be studying that stuff. So I know you got, you, you know, already. Uh, well, I don't want, I don't want to alarm anybody, but I was like, you you know, know. I'm like, you know, I'm moving to Liberia and I'm running for office, right? Yes! <laughs> I get so frustrated. I'm so frustrated. Yes, we're doing this. I told the other girl on the show two shows ago, um, one of, uh, somebody I just uh, met, Virtual, her name is Sivet, and she ran for representative, but she didn't go through. And I was like, girl, what is it that you need me to do to help you so that you can do what you need to do? Because I feel this is the time for men 
especially young guys like us, to rally behind these strong and powerful women to make a change in politics. Because we're inside of our fathers. I'm just going to say this because they ain't our brothers. There's our fathers telling us what to do and not including us in these conversations. So why not get our sisters and our mothers to deal with this conversation like you actually do at home? So if you want to see that change, what you're talking about is what's necessary. There has to be support. And I have to say, like, for running for office, because of how the the community rallied around me, because of how people felt like I was being done dirty, I had people knocking on doors. I don't even know what their names are. Um, I had, a, and these were men. Mm-hmm. I had folks from the County Democrats group was knocking on doors. Um, Julian Ivey, our, our delegate, knocked on doors. County Councilwoman Julian Ivey did. People like who you would call celebrity pol- politicians mm-hmm. um, really was like, y'all trying to do this girl wrong. And what I would encourage every man to do, and that's hard to do when we're talking about the continent of Africa, but especially like the West African continent where there are still views about what women should do and what, what men shouldn't do, is that this is no longer a supposition. We have facts and science and proof that shows that when you invest in women, you improve your entire community. Yes. When you invest in men, only two to three people benefit. So that that's, I mean, seriously, we've learned that through we've, we've learned that through microloans. We've learned yeah. that through education. We have learned that investing in women, women think on a more global scale. They think outside of themselves. They think of at least their children and offspring of other other people. And the your dollar goes further for you if you invest in a woman. So do that. And I will say this, I know this started um, something in Liberia is called, I think it's a LAPA, whatever it is, but I will get that information to you. This is political women in Liberia who are trying to educate women in Liberia, what politics is all about. You talk about the numbers, um, who you're supposed to vote for, when you're voting, why you should vote for this person. They're trying to do all that stuff. And then they're also trying to rally with women because I will tell you, there was a woman that literally was raped. She was gang raped because she was running for, I think, Senator Representative. I can't remember. She was gang raped to stop from running. But at the end of the day, she won. And those women rally around her to make her to get her seat. And so now she's in the office, she's in the, 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 the she's in parliament, in Congress, whatever they're calling it like there. But she made it there because those women rally around her. And my thing was like, imagine if those women did it. Imagine if other men could join those women to make sure that, hey, if we know that there are certain women going into certain parts of the country where we know that, you know, there are criminals and they're going to attack this woman. Guys, we need to handle her and help her out so she can make what she's supposed to do. So so I would also say to that, though, don't just assume that women are feeble creatures and we're victim, victims all the time. Oh, no. but, but we definitely want that support. But aside from that, as you're doing that while the person's running for office, rally for them after they're in office, too. Because for that young lady, that's a traumatic event. Yeah. And we're just, just expecting her to show up to work every day and still perform. And trust me, that has a psychological impact on her. Um, just running for the elections in town and seeing some of the responses that I saw on social media about me, there were four different mayors who wrote letters about me that were, were complete negative statements. And that's new to me. I'm a people pleaser. I'm used to people saying positive things about me. But what that taught me was, and I'm so so glad that young lady pressed forward, was they wouldn't be doing that if I wasn't a real threat. Mm-hmm. So that must mean I'm bringing something to this table that they're concerned about. And if they're concerned about that, I'm going to push forward. 
because I see a benefit in that. But as I do that, it's great to get some, some encouragement later on. So just remember, as you rally for somebody during the process, rally for them afterwards, too. Well, I tell you, like you said, you are planning to do this. I'm going to be here for you. I'm so mad that I don't live in Chevrolet because, you know, I was going to be crazy. But anyway, as we close, what valuable moments as a woman did you experience during your campaign leading to the election? Um, <clears throat> Mr. Tucker has uh, was the president of the Fourth Ward Civics Association for 33 years, and he had some significant health problems. To see him get out of his bed and come vote for me meant the world. Um, and I understood that he understood that I knew what my role was, and that included bringing the history of my community with me. Don't just run for office because it's something to put on your resume. In order for you to do a good job of being a public official, you have to care about people. Mm -hmm. And he knew that I cared about the people in the community. Some of the best moments had nothing to do with running for office. There are some of my neighbors that just needed help getting up out of their bed because they're disabled. And knowing that they trusted me enough to share that information with me and knowing that I wouldn't go tell the whole town who it was and why um, made me feel like I'd done a good job. Being able to get the the policies passed unanimously, that was huge, you know? Mm -hmm. And recognizing that I still have more work to do and and knowing that the work that I'm doing is valuable. You can pass a lot of resolutions, you can pass a lot of laws, but being able to say, and, and using those hookups, you know, two weeks from now, I have somebody coming from the Department of Environmental Services because I need you to look at pipes in my town. That's not exciting work, but I don't want anybody to ever tell me that their basement has flooded because the town didn't do their job. Mm -hmm. um, and so as, as small and menial as those tasks may seem, each one of them is fulfilling to me. Well, as we're at closing, is there anything you would like to say to all the young women who might be watching, who will watch this show? Yeah, run. And I'm going to tell you what, when I was asked to run, I said no those seven times. Run. I printed up a little card and I started knocking on doors. And that is the way you win elections. You don't win elections through endorsements. You don't win elections from people putting your sign in their yard. You win elections by going door to door and telling people why you want to do this. Make sure you have a good why and make sure they know you care and you'll win. Well, guys, this was Casey Monyanen, vice mayor and council member for Ward 4, Chevrolet, Maryland. This was an amazing conversation. I appreciate you. I say thank you for coming back. And this is just awesome. I can't wait to when we're on the plane heading to Liberia to do this. I am really ready for this. So those who are watching, the conversation is going on the road actually in December. We'll be in December in Liberia between December 12th and December 26th. And they're going to be shows all over Liberia. So guys, get ready. It's going to be serious. So Casey, we said thank you for being here with us and we appreciate you. And I'm going to say, have a good day. Bye, guys.